0: For the week of August 11th, 2019, this is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into all things Star Wars TV, as well as the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. This week, we are looking at Season 1, Episode 11 of The Clone Wars, and Season 1, Episode 9 of Rebels. And to help me tackle all of this is John. John, how are you doing?
1: Doing pretty good. I finally got my hands on a legit kyber crystal, so you know things are looking up for old John.
0: Yeah, those 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 <laughs> kyber crystals—they'll—they'll they'll
1: do that. They're elusive, but when you find it, you earn it. You earn your kyber crystal.
0: <laughs> well, let's go ahead and dive into this episode of the Clone Wars, okay. so season one, episode eleven, Dooku. Captured. This episode was written by Julie Siege and directed by Jessica Ye. Uh and in it, Obi-Wan and Anakin infiltrate Dooku's ship by staging Anakin's capture in an attempt to capture Dooku. This has a couple of twists and turns, and Dooku winds up getting captured by some pirates, and there's a little bit of a victory in store for the Jedi and his apprentice here.
1: Seemingly, yeah. So
0: it may seem. <laughs> <laughs> Now, one of the things that I like about our rewatch here is that there is just so much of the expanded Star Wars universe that we get a look at <laughs> in these series and that we wouldn't get a chance to look at sure. without these type of things. Like, for instance, uh, we have Hondo, who now is the, the tour guide of the Millennium right. Falcon ride at Galaxy's Edge. We don't get that without this series of the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So you get a look at these new worlds and it's just a lot of fun because you get some new aliens that were originally part of the legend lore that if you didn't read that source material or watch the stuff that was available before Disney took over this, uh, this thing called Lucasfilm, you would have really no idea that these people even existed in, in the Star Wars greater universe. hmm but we get a look at these in these two series. So that was just a side note that I want to start off. Because in this one, of course, we see some some new characters that become instant classics. Uh, but to start off, Anakin, he keeps losing that lightsaber of his. <laughs> yes. The first time intentionally, because of course he can't have it when he gets captured. Right. But then he loses it again. And I think it's kind of, I think at this point, it's, uh, it's a little... Um, Telling of him of what's going to happen to him because eventually he does lose that lightsaber for good
1: sure yeah um, <laughs> I guess yeah if you really want to bring that through to its conclusion yeah I guess that is the ultimate fate is that he loses it but good in the end so since the
0: since the lightsaber's call the people, I think this lightsaber was just trying to get away from.
1: Yeah, so the, the lightsaber <laughs> knows something about Anakin that we don't know yet. Yeah, he's always trying to bail out. Uh yeah, I I think that this is that lighthearted banter that Lucas was trying to infuse into the prequels where, you know, this this lightsaber is your life anakin like they they already had this back and forth in the movie so they're playing that up a bit they're trying to use it to build rapport between them i think it works better in the clone wars than it did in the movies to be honest it it seemed a little little stilted or you know just inorganic when when it was thrown into the movies but yeah. uh as something that obi-wan seems particularly good at that anakin is always kind of fumbling at it it seems uh, fitting that Obi-Wan would use that to, uh, yeah, just kind of keep Anakin in his place a little bit. Like, that always is the nature of the relationship, even though Anakin's a full-on knight at this point. In Obi-Wan's eyes, he always needs the next lesson. So, yeah, you're getting yeah. a bit of that. Well, and what we've seen from this last episode is that it doesn't always matter that you're a knight. Sure.
0: Because you can still make these mistakes that end in uh, some unpleasing circumstances.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, so, basically what happens in this episode is Dooku seemingly escapes ends up on this planet and tries to use his little, you know, swagger, his finesse to basically be like, Hey, will you take me to this place? And you'll get a nice little penny for doing so. Um, but his problem is that he's engaging with pirates. Right. One of my favorite Easter eggs that that I've gotten from this latest edition of the Star Wars canon. If you play Star Wars Battlefront 2 and you're playing in Maz's castle, there are a couple of rooms that you can go into. Mm-hmm. And there's a portrait of Hondo in one of those rooms. There you go. Because, of course, he would visit Maz's castle. Yeah. He's infamous. He gets
1: his picture on the wall. Yeah. I get it.
0: Um, and... He does what all pirates do and takes Dooku hostage and basically says, well, if the separatists would pay that much for you, think how much the Republic would pay for you. So we're taking you.
1: Yep. No honor among thieves. Dooku should have saw that coming a mile away. And so anyway,
0: on this planet, Anakin and Obi-Wan end up in this nice little cave trapped and Anakin loses his lightsaber in that cave. And then there's some other stuff waiting for him in that cave. But at the end of all of that, it's still it's still Ahsoka. Yeah. It's still Ahsoka's little she and and I love how she just nonchalantly like saves him and is like, Hey, you mean you guys were doing fine when that gone dark right there <laughs> is still nice and healthy and looking for you
1: yeah yeah nice little moment the padawan gets the final word after they've been chiding each other all day she's ultimately the one with the skills
0: (laughs) yeah and she she comes she comes to save the day and then this leads Anakin and Obi-Wan to have a bit of a drinking spree with the pirates here because of course they get word that the pirates have Dooku hostage and Palpatine sends Anakin and Obi-Wan to basically pick up the package And the pirates get all drunk, and it ends without us seeing what really comes of that story.
1: Right. This is a... Uh, Obi Wan tactic where he likes to spring the trap, right? Like they knew something was up. They knew that their drinks were getting spiked. They knew that the pirates were going to double cross them. But they're going along for the ride because I think they think they can get the upper hand. Yeah, you know, if they do. Yeah. Um, but it's yet to be seen whether they're in over their heads or not. So yeah, fun, fun little twist there at the end.
0: Yeah, and this this just speaks to the character of of these pirates. Like, oh, we have one guy that we can sell to the one side, and then we have two guys that we can sell to the other side. And so I mean, we're making we're making more money for for this than we could if we just. <laughs> Sold right. Dooku away.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's how they roll. And we'll we'll find out how that works out for them, I guess, in the next episode.
0: Yeah, I have a feeling that that uh, that something's gonna happen in the next episode. <laughs> I don't know what's giving me that feeling, but yeah. I have a feeling. Uh, but yeah, I think I think this was a fun episode that kind of just shows um, another aspect to the war and some neutral Uh, powers involved. You know, the pirates, they don't have a side. They don't care which side wins per se. They're just, they're just in it for money. Anywhere the money comes in. Like this is who Han Solo wants to be. Right. Like he wants to be one of these pirates. Mm -hmm. He never gets to be that because he of course gets all caught up in hero business.
1: (laughs) Right. Inevitably he is the good guy. Yeah. 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 You don't, you don't get any sense that these guys wouldn't, uh, you know, step on their own mother to, to score. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nice that they're bringing new factions into the story, but other than that little bit of world building and, you know, just showing that there are these, these other elements out there in the galaxy that can make for fun adventures, This episode doesn't go to any great places because it kind of is now the, the first piece in a, in a bit of a arc where we we have yet to find out whether they're going to be successful in capturing Dooku or, you know, what have you. So a lot of table setting, not a lot of payoff, but still a fun enough ride, kind of a lighthearted episode. Didn't, uh, didn't hate it by any means, but this didn't have, uh, the, the punch of the last one, like the last one felt like it had a bit more weight. You know, you had some stakes, you had some clones and Jedi actually, you know, falling in, in tragic circumstances. You don't get a whole lot of that here. This is just more of a chase and some double cross and some lighthearted drinking fun. And uh, we'll find out next week what the payoff is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, let's go ahead and transition to our discussion of Rebels.
1: Yes. Now, here, we might have a bit more weight <laughs> to bat around, because this this was a fun one. This was the one that made the week for me.
0: Uh, I have to agree with you once again on that. Mm-hmm. So, Star Wars Season 1, Episode 9, Path of the Jedi. And in this episode, Kanan leads Ezra to an ancient Jedi temple on Lothal, where Ezra goes through a series of tests on his path and becoming a Jedi, and if you are into long-awaited uh, humor, this is where John's joke at the beginning of this episode sure, comes yes. to fruition. Here,
1: there, there was a payoff. There was a payoff. It wasn't uh, Chekhov's kyber crystal. Uh, yeah, no this this is classic storytelling, right? Like this is uh, all of the tropes of myths, right? The the coming of age story. The hero in the making is guided by you know some sort of spirit guide or. Uh, some sort of, uh, you know, wise old figure uh, to test themselves. You know, they have to find their inner strength. They have to face their inner demons. They have to, Mm -hmm. you know, conquer their fear. All of those classic elements are woven into this. It's essentially a retelling of the uh, cave scene from Dagobah on Empire. Really? That's, that's what it is. This is part of the trials, maybe not the final trial to becoming a Jedi, but certainly the one that proves whether you are, um, free enough of your fears and passions to be able to connect with a Kyber crystal and ultimately begin your path to being a Jedi Knight.
0: Yeah. And I like how Kanan uh, kind of puts Ezra through, through the initial test of like, Hey, you need to find something for me. Right. Cause I think it's basically implied that Kanan knows where this is. Sure. Um, but he wants to see if Ezra can get there um, using the force and see if that part is, is calling to him so to speak because Ezra from the beginning it makes it seem like that this, uh, this Kyber crystal is the one that does the calling as far as the lightsaber is concerned mm-hmm. because we get you know we get a lot of these themes of the lightsabers calling to me blah 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 of course it called to Ezra whenever uh, Kanans was calling to Ezra um, and then of course uh, Anakin's old lightsaber is calling to Ray and the Force Awakens and this one the initial vision that Ezra sees is a quote unquote stone did you pick up on that?
1: Uh, no, I don't think I made that connection. So, uh, expand on that. What's, what's the meaning here?
0: When, when Kanan basically says, Hey, I need you to, you know, find something and he, and he's using the force to find this thing. He says that that his vision that he sees is a stone. And so from the initial look, you think, Oh, maybe it's a stone temple thing. Sure. But then at the end, whenever he gets the Kyber crystal, it's more so like, no, I, I'm, I'm a part of the party that believes that it was the Kyber crystal that was calling to him and guiding him to the temple.
1: Okay. I didn't have that read on. I didn't make that particular connection. I just see this as the, Um, Ezra has to demonstrate a certain amount of Jedi potential to be welcomed into the inner sanctum where the kyber crystal is waiting for him. Like I I didn't see uh, any other kind of foreshadowing or anything sort of,
0: you know. Well, yeah, I definitely think that that was the main point. But I think what uh, what initially got him to the temple was that vision of the stone. And then he gets there, gets out and then kind of in order to get to that stone that he saw, he has to go through and prove kind of that that worth that okay. he's that he's willing to
1: yeah put no, that that's on. probably foreshadowing that the that the producers were mm-hmm. attempting yeah it just went over my head in the moment i i because i wasn't entirely sure where the episode was going to end i didn't pick up on that as being sort of an indication yeah. uh yeah okay no i i i could totally see that being an intentional story beat and then another thing
0: is kanan makes a comment as to how he learned about this place basically like um, it, it made it seem, it kind of added more to that story that the Empire had maps to these ancient temples that were around mm-hmm. the galaxy, um, which makes more sense to, no, Luke didn't, you know, necessarily take from, because it, it, there's a whole thing like, okay, well, how come he's the only one with this map? And it's like, no, it was in the Empire's database. He just kind of took the final coordinates away from it. Mm -hmm. Um, so he already had R2 kind of remove that final coordinate from the database. And so it made it seem like through this, that the empire has these kind of, they're kind of watching or they, they know where these, these ancient places are.
1: Right. Yeah. Because they took over the temple. So they have Mm -hmm. all of the, the Jedi archives, the Holocron's library. So they would know the entire Jedi history. So they would Mm -hmm. know where these places are or have the potential to, unless something's removed from the archive. Like we're assuming somehow was the shenanigans that led up to Luke being able to conceal the map to.
0: And the same shenanigans that had, that hid Camino from the archive. Yeah. So
1: we, we know it's possible when the plot dictates. Um, yeah, I, I guess my read on it was that, the map was inconsequential. I got the sense mm-hmm. that Kanan, that it was calling to him or had previously called to him. Like There yeah. was some reason why he already knew of it. And kind of like what you were um, trying to pull together there with the foreshadowing, he's trying to give Ezra an opportunity to see if he's in tune with what this temple can offer him. Like, right. like There's a purpose why the force should be drawing Ezra there. And if Ezra can tap into it, it kind of shows that he's ready for the temple, like the temple's ready for him. Like there's some Mm -hmm. sort of, uh, the, the force is, is guiding the situation. And we're just seeing how in tune Ezra is with what's happening around him and whether he's going to be able to rise to the occasion. That was kind of the sense I got. So yeah, there is obviously some intrigue about these temples and whether it's even safe to go near them because they might be monitored or whatever. It might be a trap. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a little bit there to just be foreboding for the sake of the story. Um, but I think the, the ultimate idea there. That they were getting at is when your time comes, when it's ready for you to have a lightsaber, when it's ready for you to bind with your kyber crystal, the force is going to guide you where you need to go. And Kanan was getting an inkling of that. And he helped Ezra to tap into it. And ultimately Ezra proved that, yeah, it was time. He's ready for his lightsaber. And
0: Kanan learns just as much as Ezra does in this episode. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, This is, and honestly, this is the part of it that I like even more than the Ezra kyber Mm -hmm. crystal facing your fears thing, which is all fantastic. The real joy of this episode is something new to Star Wars, but so appropriate for Star Wars. And that's the idea of a Jedi that has been forced into a situation where he needs to be made a master, but he has no guidance. He has no mentor. He has no one to bring him up and help him to have the confidence of a master to be able to guide his Padawan. He's basically a ship adrift. And he has to muster up the inner confidence and, and overcome his own demons, his own, uh, lack of, uh, you know, self-assuredness, his own, you know, his own lack of confidence that he can do right by Ezra. He's facing all of these same struggles in the temple while Ezra is trying to take his first step. It's like Canaan in a way is trying to center himself and be reassured that, yeah, he he's up for this, this challenge and the force is going to, you know, work with him to help him rise to the occasion. So you get that sense from his communication with Yoda as well. Yeah.
0: And speaking of Yoda, we get this nice little, uh, for both of them kind of at the same time when they're both going through their own practices, Kanan thinks that he's simply meditating on, um, meditating in the force and kind of just comes to be like, it's taking him too long. And then immediately he hears this little voice Mm -hmm. and you, you know, we get this sense like, oh, because we hear it from Ezra's perspective first. Ezra does have no idea who this person is that's talking to him. But then as soon as Kanan hears it, he immediately Master Yoda. Yeah. Um, and then it turns into this whole thing where Kanan admits to the first, uh, for the first time that that he's not worried about Ezra being teachable. He's worried about him being yes. a teacher. Yeah. Um, which is just a deep kind of... Mm-hmm. Gives you an insight as to why Kanan has been pushing against training... Ezra and then of course from the last episode we've seen the power of Ezra so of course this is intimidating to Mm -hmm. Kanan he already thinks that he's inadequate and this adds more to it
1: yeah he even says that He thinks that he opened up Ezra to aspects of the force, like being able to potentially flirt with the dark side without even realizing it because of his own, a lack of insight in how he's guiding him. He almost like let him go too far there. So yeah, yeah, with good reason, Kanan is second guessing his abilities and needs his own reassurance. So, uh, yeah, really, really really potent, potent character stuff here that was very satisfying to watch. I I thought they handled it so nicely.
0: And so let's get into this, uh, these visions that Ezra has. Yeah. So the initial one, he sees the Grand Inquisitor murdering Kanan um, and then, of course, kicking him off of a ledge. Uh, and then that kind of puts him back on the ghost where he hears the crew talk all sorts of mean things against him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so why do you think that the force gave him those specific reasons? Let's kind of get into the the nuts and bolts
1: of Sure. uh... Well, this is why it it really is hearkening back to what we saw in Empire when Luke was being tested as well. It goes back to the idea of at a certain point, a person has to look inward and see, you know, where their fears are and really, you know, where is their weakness and what is it that drives them and what is it that could throw them off kilter. And in this case, we're, we're seeing pretty clearly that the things that matter to Ezra, the things that could leave room for the dark side, his attachments, the things that could cause fear to overwhelm him. Would be losing his father figure slash mentor. It would be finding out that his surrogate family doesn't truly love him or that his surrogate family, you know, might be killed and he would be on his own again, just like with his family originally, you know, he loses his family. He's on his own, like having to go through that twice would be traumatic. So You see all of the potential things that could really be stumbling blocks to Ezra. And at the end of it, he has to navigate these emotional waters, stand up on his own two feet and face the Inquisitor and make it clear that there's nothing that uh, this manifestation of fear can throw at him. That is going to distract him from his pursuit of being the, you know, the best man, the best Jedi that he can be And Hey, if if that isn't a you know a punchy Star Warsy theme, I don't know what is. Yeah, and I and I love the
0: the mature theme that goes into that is whenever he's um, approached by the Inquisitor, the vision of the Inquisitor that basically he's afraid to die. Ezra kind of shoots back, It's like, "No, it's not death I'm afraid of. Mm-hmm. It's being alone. Yeah, like that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that, of being alone, not of death. Right? Like, you know, whatever to that, um, which kind of just adds some layers to Ezra and. Kind of shoots him into his next stage of character development that i that is going to be a theme throughout the rest of this series mm-hmm. and we 'll see uh if the inquisitor plays to some of these things later on or what other forces play to it
1: sure, but as of right now, Ezra's taken a step he 's entering a, a- a larger world at this point, And yep. he's officially got a lightsaber that he can be proud of one that he cobbled together from spare parts, from everything from chopper to the ghost. And he's on his way. Like he, he's officially, I guess a youngling at this point, right? That's when you get your lightsaber. Yeah. When you're a youngling. Uh, yeah. So, uh, he, he's, he's got some rank at this point. He isn't just this wayward youth that might have Jedi potential. He's now officially in school. And, and my only
0: issue with his lightsaber is that, It seems like the most practical wartime weapon for a Jedi. Okay. And I wonder why other Jedi did not adopt this blaster saber combo (laughs) because that seems very effective.
1: Sure. But the the lightsaber is always supposed to say something about the Jedi, right? Like not only are you in tune with the crystal itself, but it's also a manifestation of your prowess and your potential as a Jedi and just how you kind of like absorb the world and manifest that as a Jedi. So you get the, you know, the elegant classical like Dooku blade, like it's curved and it it's regal and it says I'm sophisticated and I'm a, you know, a gentleman scholar kind of Jedi Mm -hmm. or Sith. And then you've got, uh, Anakin's, which seems very mechanic. It almost seems like a little mini chunk of R2 kind -hmm. of a thing. Uh, and then you've got Obi-Wan's, which I don't know, it, his seems more ornate and more complex for some reason. So like they always have some character in of themselves and especially like, you know, Maul or the inquisitor where you get ones that even have special abilities, right? Like double ends Mm -hmm. or the ability to spin or like with Kylo Ren, where he's tried to channel some of the energy out the side into those, you know, those little, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, wings that it has. So, lightsabers always have some sort of thematic character aspect to it. So the fact that Ezra is effectively an orphan that just knows how to make hay with junk, it kind of, and is, uh, he's very industrious and he knows how to kind of act on his feet and make use of what he's got. And so I, I can see, yeah, you know what? this is going to be the most practical lightsaber. This is what's going to do in a pinch. And I'm always going to have my backup. That's just kind of who he is. He's always had to think on his toes. So why wouldn't he want the most capable uh, Swiss army knife of a, of a lightsaber that he could make? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that, that's a good point. It reflects their character and Kylo Ren, very unstable personality. And mm-hmm. of course he would have the first unstable blade that we've seen in, in yep. live action. And then, Ezra's just that—that that, that was one thing that just threw me off. I'm like, how come more people don't just adopt having a blaster to it as well? Because
1: yeah. it's who they know. are. It's who they are. <laughs>
0: uh, but yeah, but I do like that, that. Kanan points it out, like when when uh, the rest of the crew is wondering, like, how is he going to build a lightsaber on this? And he's just like, ah, there's a couple of pieces that I've scavenged throughout my days, and and he'll find some other pieces mm-hmm. to put something together. And then when you get it, it's just like, oh yeah, he probably just used a couple of nuts and bolts from. His bunk bed. That, mm. that, <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, like whatever. We get the sense that lightsaber tech is not really that sophisticated, that the crystal's doing all the work. The rest of it's just right. basically housing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and ba- and it's and it's about you know, it's like what Vader says to Luke whenever he sees that Luke has fashioned his own lightsaber, he's like, Oh, you have your own lightsaber. Right. You're you know, you are I guess you are at Jedi, basically. Yeah,
1: you're standing on your own two feet now. You're not just some poser with my old yep. toy. Yeah, now you've got your own. Yep. And, uh, and
0: so Ezra has his own, and he's going into the next stage. Mm-hmm. He's taking his first step into a larger world. We'll see where that goes from here. hmm Well, John, I think that about does it for our discussion on Rebels. Yeah,
1: I think we covered that pretty well. Yeah,
0: and uh, if people want to listen to you outside of this podcast, where can they find you?
1: they can find my other little labor of love, the SNL after party podcast on all of the podcast listening platforms. Uh, It is a episode by episode review of SNL. We cover all the new stuff over the summers. We cover vintage stuff. In fact, um, we're in the process of putting out a discussion of the Carrie Fisher episode, uh, from way back in the day. It's a 40 year old episode. Uh, she's, you know, fresh off of star Wars. She's dating Dan Aykroyd on the show. She comes on, um, her monologue. She's dressed up as Princess Leia and Obi-Wan is communicating to her through the force for her monologue. So we're actually doing a, a Star wars foray into SNL for our vintage rewatch this summer. If anyone would like to check that out, they can go to SNLpodcast.com.
0: Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. And I cannot wait to listen to that.
1: It'll be a fun one. We've got uh, Dave Buckman, who's a, a comedy improv guy down in Austin that really knows his stuff. And it's one of his favorite episodes. So we're going to dig deep. So lots of Star Wars, lots of Carrie Fisher talk. Uh, come join us if you're so inclined.
0: Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Star Wars TV Talk, and we hope that you join us next week.
1: See ya.